We are uh, continuing through a short series as we begin our fall ministry on uh, our philosophy of ministry. Uh, worship, serve, connect, and grow. This morning we are talking about connecting. We are in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Very familiar passage to many. Um, here then, the Word of God. And they, the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people, as your disciples, to devote ourselves to, to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship together and to the breaking of bread and prayers to worship before You. We have gathered as Your church. We long even now as we open our hearts and our minds to Your Word that You would do more than teach us. Father, would You change us? Would You shape us and our church and our community to the image of Christ and Your purposes for us? These things we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The mission of the church, as we have said uh, many times in many ways, is there on the front of your bulletin uh, that we want to be a community that is liberated by God's grace so that we are living lives that are fully committed to Christ. And as we do that, that we would be leading others into a life-transforming encounter with Him, that we would be bringing people to Christ. And so the mission at the bottom line is, the mission is to be leading others into the same life-transforming encounter with Christ that we ourselves have had. The mission is the Gospel. The mission is to reach people for Jesus. And we believe to do this, we ourselves need to be a community that has been liberated by grace and our living lives fully committed to Christ. In other words, we need to be a community that is experiencing the power of the Gospel for ourselves. So that we ourselves are freed by His grace to know Him and to love Him and to pursue Him and to live lives that are fully committed to Him. That we are disciples in the full sense of the Word. And that as we are ourselves experiencing the Gospel in that kind of a life-transforming way, that we would be a community then that could lead others to experience the same kind of things. But how are we going to be that community? How are we going to be a community liberated and committed and so leading others. And that's where the philosophy of ministry comes in. How are we going to be that community liberated, living, fully committed, and leading is that we would be a community then that is worshiping and serving, connecting and growing. We believe that that is the community that the Bible describes. That that in some ways is our job description or it, it is how God has designed for us to be and to function. And as we are a healthy body and church, being all that He's designed us to be, that we will be experiencing the power of His Gospel and finding our lives more and more sold out and living for Christ. 
And worship, we said, was it the, the heartbeat what we're doing this morning? Is the, the heartbeat at the center of the life of the church as we give ourselves in worship to Him as we are together in that? Expressing itself in love and service to Christ. And today I want to talk about being connected and ultimately growing next week as the body of Christ. See, this picture is a picture that is painted so richly throughout the the New Testament, which is such a corporate thing. If you read the New Testament, it it knows nothing of individual Christian. It knows everything of the the church, the word that literally means the assembly or the gathering. Um, it It knows a connected, it knows a people. And we want to talk about why connection is so important in the life of church. Even asking that question, why is connection so important in the life of the church? It's like, why is eating and sleeping so important to the body? Right? It's in that vein of, of, I think, importance the way the picture is painted for us in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. It says this, Christ Jesus Himself, being the cornerstone of the church, in whom the whole structure the church imaged as a structure, as a building. Jesus, the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also, you church in Ephesus, you church in Hickson, in Christ, in Him, you also are being built together. You are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By His Spirit. I mean, what an exalted picture of the church. What an amazing... This, Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I'm gathering you together out of the nations. And I'm going to be your cornerstone. And each of you is a living stone. And I'm going to build something. I'm going to build you together so that you grow up into this, He says, a temple. There's no longer a physical temple where the Shekinah descended and dwells in the Holy of Holy that, that no longer exists. He says, don't you know you are the temple? And so He grows us together. Jesus declared that He was going to build His church and the very gates of hell would not stand against it. And, and that means evangelism and mission. Right? And at some level, we already get that. We think of Jesus is going to build His church and He's going to be plundering the enemy's kingdom and populating His own. That's evangelism and mission. But what we sometimes miss, and when Jesus says He's going to build His church, He's not just expanding it and expanding it a mile wide and an inch deep. Right? He says, I'm going to build my church. It means expansion, evangelism and mission, but it also means... I'm building you together and growing you into something. Right? That He gathers us into something and as He's growing His church, He's not just expanding it, He's deepening and building us up in Himself to fullness and maturity in Him as a people. Philip Graham Reichen writing about it says, a privatized faith. That faith that's out, you know, we take it and separate ourselves. We live apart from. He says a privatized faith weakens the church within and without in our mission, loosening the bonds of true Christian community and therefore hindering the church's witness. Which I want us to see this morning through this text, just how that happens, how community, good, strong bonds of Christian community actually 
part of our witness, part of the strength of our mission. Faith lives and thrives and multiplies in community. The church lies at the very center of God's eternal purpose of God. It's why I ended up doing, I said a couple of weeks ago or last week, why I ended up doing what I'm doing. I wanted to do something out there. I wanted to, to do something else. I wanted to serve the Lord, but I just, you know, I said never in the church, never as a pastor. Until God made it clear to me as I was studying to do something else, that the church is His idea. That the church is His vehicle. That He is building His church. And to be part of what God is doing in His church is to be at the very center of His eternal purposes on the earth. And so here I stand. As part of that, wanting to be a part of what He is doing. We come to this text in Scripture which is a rich and challenging piece of Scripture. The context for the little passage I just read is Pentecost. Right? We're in Acts chapter 2. And it opens up with, when the day of Pentecost arrived and they were all together in one place, being the church, gathered, assembled, when they were all together in one place, suddenly, God moved and He worked. <clears throat> it says they were praying together. There was a sound of a mighty wind. There was tongues of fire that came down and there was the outpouring of His Spirit and His people were baptized into the Spirit, filled with the Spirit and united together. God created a new community. That's what He did. A New Testament expression of the people of God in a new and extended way. By the time this happens to the group that it he had pulled together before His death and they were together and then He does this. And then in verse 41, right before our text, it says, and so those who received His Word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Jerusalem has the first megachurch. Right? Right off the bat. Right? Thousands of them. What are we going to do with them? 3,000 souls. These converts, they joined together in a radically shared life. Ephesians 2 says that we were being joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in Him, being built together into a dwelling place for God to live by His Spirit. And I believe that is exactly what we see in this little passage. That it continues to be the New Testament pattern. It's what, how Jesus is doing it. And here He describes it in a way that we don't see. We see the pieces and the strands of it running through the New Testament. But here we see it described nicely for us. Everywhere the apostles go, people are being converted and being brought together, being filled with the Spirit and united into a community. To the church. To the ecclesia. To the assembly. And so the origin of the church, then and now, is the outpouring of God's Spirit on His people. So that what unites us together is not race, is not gender, is not socioeconomic class, is not any other human thing that, that brings us together. The picture of the church in the Scripture is this eclectic group from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue of every socioeconomic piece brought together by what? We, are, we have become a family of blood formed and created by the outpouring of the Spirit. We share one Spirit. As he prayed a minute ago, one faith, one baptism, one Spirit. Spirit. 
that unites us together. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know? You being plural. You the church. You Corinthian church. Hey, Corinthian church, do you guys not understand this piece of this that you really need to get? Do you not know? You are God's temple. You corporately are God's temple. That God's Spirit dwells in you. In a people. You've been made into something that He often calls His body. 1 Timothy 3.15, he says this, that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. Right? Just think about that. In the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Is His household, the word household in the Greek was that whole, all, everybody that lived in a, in a house. It might be extended family. It might be whoever lives in the... If, if you have the, you know, that suite, the in-law suite, or whatever it is, and somebody's living with you, and you have your children, and you, know, you have several generations in one house, that's your household. Everyone who lives in your house is your, is your household. And you, we are, he says, God's household. In some ways, we are both those who live in the house, the family, the people, and we are the house that's being built together as a community. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is His new community. It's what He is doing, creating a people for Himself. And so, as the Spirit is poured out and thousands are saved and the new community is formed, it says this in verse 42, 3,000 souls are saved and they, the 3,000 and the 120 that were in the upper room, they, the disciples, the God's people that He is gathering, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the koinonia, and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. They were devoted. Right? So as He pulls this church together, what kind of a church is it? It's a, it's a church that is full of devotion, learning, fellowship, worship, connection, and sacrifice. It is, a, it is a devoted community. It's an interesting word to begin the whole thing. Whatever else He's going to say after that, He said there's a people that were gathered together, and one of the things that marked them is that they were devoted to certain things. Devoted. Think about devotion. You devoted, what are you devoted to? You devoted, a devoted husband. Right? What, what does that bring to mind? You know, as opposed to what other kind of husband? Should there be any other kind of husband? Or, or wife, a devoted wife? And what does it imply? That devotion. It implies some things, doesn't it? It implies, you know, a loyalty, a, a, a commitment, a, a, a diligence to that other one. Devotion, you know, he is having his devotions. Right? He's spending time with God in a rich way that is meaningful. He gives ourselves to it religiously, so to speak. Right? So they're a devoted community. It indicates loyalty, commitment, and diligence. A certain kind of attitude. In other words, it wasn't a, a casual involvement. Any more than you can be casually involved in your marriage. Or you're doing it wrong, trust me. You're to be a devoted spouse. And this is a devoted community. Devoted to a way of shared life. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the koinonia of the people and to the worship, the breaking of bread and to the prayers. 
They're devoted to a certain kind of life. And that first thing, it's interesting to me, that it is first that it says that it's this kind of, it's a devoted community to these things. And the first thing it says it's devoted to is it's a learning people. It's a learning community. They're growing in knowledge. They are devoted to the apostles' teaching. They love the Word of God. And they take opportunity to be in it and to be together in it. They're devoted on, and we'll see that they meet in the temple, they meet in homes, and they love the, the Word of God, which is, as we think about being a community, one of the reasons we talk, they have two, two Sunday school classes starting. One of them is, is, a, is part of a survey of the Scripture because we want to help our people who should be devoted to learning God's Word, would get a good overview and grounding in what we call a biblical literacy in, in the whole counsel of God. And so that's one of the reasons we have this thread running through our Sunday school to ground us as a, as a church devoted to the apostles' teaching. Boyce says this, I suggest that this is always the first mark of a Spirit-filled church. They study the apostolic teaching. They love the Word of God. It is what gives birth to the community, the Word of the Gospel, the Word of Christ. It is what feeds the community. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Letting the Word of God dwell in us richly. It is what feeds and shapes the community. It tells us, hopefully this morning, we will be shaped by this Word. That this Word will help you define who you are and who we are as a church and as a people. That it, that it shapes us. Makes us more into that people. God's new Spirit-filled community are a people saturated, shaped, and in love with the Word of God. So they're devoted to this learning, the apostles' teaching, and to this fellowship, it says. The word, Greek word there, you've probably heard it before, the koinonia. It's a great word. It's a rich word. It's a, hard, it's a word that's hard to translate. So often we just say fellowship. But fellowship falls so short. You know, almost anything we do together we call fellowship. Right? We're going to have a time of fellowship. You know? And sometimes we eat together and very little fellowship actually takes place. Because fellowship is more than simply being in the same place doing the same thing together. Fellowship actually implies a sharing of life together. It, 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 a mutual participation in something together. It's a rich word. Mutual involvement. 1 John 4.12 it says this, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, right? God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. And as His love is perfected and implied in it, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, you will see God manifest in our midst. Which is where this passage goes. And so many in the New Testament, I think, goes. That, that as we are that people, He is manifest. John 17.21, when Jesus is in the upper room and He is, knows He's about to be betrayed and crucified and He prays for His church, His little fledgling church, these few guys that He's gathered together and He prays for them as He leaves. And then He says, and I'm praying for them, not just them, but for those who will believe because of them and following, which is us all the way down through history. He prays for His church and He says that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. Think about that for a minute. That you guys would be one, like the Father and the Son are one. 
I mean, do you hear that? Okay, he's calling me to something richer and deeper, you know, than what I often think. That they may be one just as you are, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us, this mutual indwelling, this mutual sharing of life together. So that, why? Why do we need to be connected? So that the world may believe, right? This connection between the community of Christ and the witness that the church has in the world is grounded in this community. As we are connected, why would it cause the world to believe? The life of God manifest in our koinonia, in our fellowship, he says, is a witness to the world that will draw people to Christ. So what is this fellowship that this radical shared life look like? Well, he's describing it and he continues to describe it. It's a life of shared worship and community and sacrifice. And he unpacks it as he goes down. I think he's describing the koinonia, the, the, the shared life of the church as he goes down. And so 42 and 46, he says it involves worship. All right, after the fellowship, it is the breaking of bread and prayers. We break bread together um, and, we, and we pray together. It's at the heart of the worship of the church. In 46, it says, and day by day, they attended in the temple publicly and together, uh, in the temple together, publicly gathering, corporate church, and breaking bread in their homes. Right? So they gather on a big scale. What we do now. And they broke up in their worship. The worship, in other words, was formal and informal. In the temple and in the homes. And that means they broke down into small groups. Because we already know there's at least 3,120 people in round figures. You know, anybody got a home? Can hold? Even the best of us are going to have trouble hosting that group. No, they're breaking from, they broke, they, they broke down into small groups. They met together. In homes, small groups. The first mega church broke into small groups uh, to stay a smaller church. Right? There's an old saying that says, the bigger a church becomes, the smaller it must become. In other words, in a group like this, it is hard to get to know everyone or have a conversation with everyone. And in fact, in a group like this, it gets hard to know even just one person in the sense of knowing what's going on in their lives, caring about it, maybe sharing with them, praying with them. It, it can't be done here. And yet we're going to see the life of koinonia is defined by those things. And so, so not only in the temple, but in homes. Together, small groups of some kind. You know, where we break up and meet together to continue to do life together. Because life together is worship, but it's more than worship. And this is great. This is the heartbeat at the center of a good koinonia. But it is just the beginning. The bigger a church gets, the smaller it has to get. And so we try to provide opportunities in ways, whether Sunday schools, which in some ways do that, but small groups are really where we rub knees and elbows with each other and, and get, in a sense, down and dirty, where we get into each other's lives. You know, we're talking about how we can, can we pray for you and praying for each other week by week and following what's going on in other people's lives and figuring out ways we can get involved and if they need meals or help moving or you know, they're in the hospital and they need to be visited. Like, How do you know? 
Unless you're connected to people. That's the life that we're talking about. So there, it begins with worship. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to learning, to the koinonia, to the breaking of bread, and he unpacks that. But first he mentions in verse 43, I don't want to skip it, he says, it all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There's something going on here, and I just real quickly want to touch it and say that God is founding His church. Acts is a transitional book from Old Testament to New Testament. You go from an Old Testament people to the outpouring of His Spirit and the establishing of a church. The apostles are teaching. It is not what the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been teaching. And something is going on. And the Bible tells us that God Himself establishes His church in the authority of His Word in the church by the apostles or those who give us the Scripture. And God testifies to their authority through signs and wonders. That as the church is being established, as the Scripture is being written, through the apostles who are teaching a new, in a sense, testament, God is testifying to it as His Word through signs and wonders. And we see this, it says it's the apostles who are doing signs and wonders. And so a verse like Hebrews 2.4, which is the church a little bit further down the road in history, writes, and he says that God also bore witness, past tense, He bore witness to, to this whole thing that we call the church and the Word that is built on it. God bore witness to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Spirit. He established His church and He authenticates the Gospel and His Word. And it happens in the midst of this community. But as a community presses on, as this new community of God sharing a koinonia, what does it look like? Well, he goes on to describe it, doesn't he? In verse 44, he goes on and he says, and those who believed were together. And that's just the way that it is, my friends. You can't read your New Testament any other way. Those who believed were together. And that is, that is the church. Ecclesia gathered. right? Those who believed were together. And as they were together, they had all things in common. They had a shared life. They shared everything. They shared everything. Now this is going to mean here in a minute, as we talk about material things, but I think here he says it more broadly and means it more broadly, because as you read the rest of the New Testament, it's given to us more broadly. They shared everything. Let me just give you a couple quick verses and thoughts. You know, like 1 Peter 4.10, it says, as each one has received a gift, Use it to serve one another. Serve the community. They had all things in common. What? Your gifts used in the community. Your gifts used in the community. My gifts used in the community. Our gifts in that sense, as Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, are given for the common good. We share them with each other. 2 Corinthians 13, comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of peace will be with you. You are a temple being built up where God, by His Spirit, right? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is peace and there is grace. But he says that we are to comfort one another. How can I comfort you if I don't know what's going on with you? Who do you know that what's going on with? Right? Where are you connected in such a way that you can comfort others? 
And that you can encourage them because the New Testament goes on. It says we should love one another. We should pray for one another. We should confess to one another. We should bear one another's burdens. We should encourage one another. We should comfort one another. You know, those brothers and sisters, those are all commands that all of us are supposed to be doing. And bottom line is this, you cannot do them unless you're connected to other people somewhere, somehow, getting involved in their lives. Koinonia. It's, a, it's a community that God is creating. This sharing of life together. And it's a sacrificing community. Particularly now. See, in those days, the community, communities were tighter knit because they were smaller. And everything was in walking distance. Community was a little bit easier. For us, community is a little bit harder. Some of you live on a mountain. Some of you live in the valley. Some of you live south. Some of you live north. You know, we all got to drive. We all got to go. Our lives have become far more complicated than these people. My goodness, I got to get in my TV shows and stuff. How can I do that? You know, then it, 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 you know, it, it takes away. I got to be home a certain number of nights a week or, you know, all the ways that we do it. It's, it's, it's a sacrificing community and there's an element of sacrifice for us because it takes an, more of an effort for us to be connected. It takes an effort. It has an absolutely deliberate thing that you've said, this is what God has planned for us as a church. This is what He designed us to be. And so I deliberately shape my life in the stuff that we do in a way that I can be connected to God's people in the way that's described throughout the Old and New Testament. And, and it's, so it's a sacrificing community. In verse 45, it says that they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. Koinonia is costly. Time and money and effort, it's costly. That's why it's so radical. That's why God says that when we have this kind of community, people are actually drawn to Christ. Because they see His life manifest in a people in a way that is surprising to the world. These are surprising and alarming verses. These people were sacrificing to meet each other's needs. Now it may or may not be that we sacrifice and sell a piece of property to get the proceeds to meet the needs of people. That is one thing we can and maybe should do. But there are other ways in our time, in our place, to sacrifice if somebody is moving or is in the hospital or, you know, the thing, the email comes across, somebody needs meals and we're a community and the different ways that we might have to sacrifice and give something up to do something. Sometimes it's time, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's all kinds of resources, but the idea is that we care and we're part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not communism where the government forcibly redistributes wealth. Right? What we have here is personal, voluntary, radical generosity. Which is a whole different thing. It's a grassroots thing. It's a Spirit of God in the midst of His people thing. It's God working through His people to love and care for and meet the needs of everyone. Which can only happen if we truly get involved in each other's lives where needs are revealed and we get to know what those needs are and let God move us to sacrifice in ways where we can meet those needs. 1 John 3.17 I read a few minutes ago from 1 John 4 it says no one has ever seen God but if we really love one another then God's you know, love abides in us and is perfected in us. 
Just before that, John said this in 1 John 3.17, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's not the community God is making. That's not the people He is shaping. That is not the heart and the Spirit of Christ. So, there's this community that He says, He almost just, as He lays out there, the love of God is manifest as we know what the needs are. Care to know what they are. And then as we know those needs, don't shut our hearts to them. But however, we may need to sacrifice to begin to meet them. My friends, there's a beauty and a beauty and a power to this community that is manifest and it changes things. Let me just run down a couple of last things that we see, the results of this community, right? Their joy, generosity, praise to God, favor with all the people, people being saved and the church growing. Right? That's what he says is happening. They're devoted to this kind of community. And what is the fruit of it? What is the fruit of it? 46 and 47. And day by day, as they gathered in worship in church and broke bread and they spent time with each other in each other's homes and shared what they had with one another, they received their food and this whole life with glad and generous hearts. Praising God. Favor with the people. The Lord was adding to their number. The church was growing. Joy and generosity overflows in the community. Praise to God when we experience the life of God like this and you love me with the love of Christ by meeting my needs, praying over me, you know, meeting practical needs that I may have and as I love you and and you experience it as God's love for you, His life manifest in a people, it is praise and we come full circle around to a people who are devoted to worship as we experience the life of God in the midst of His people. And there's favor with all the people. This community is attractive and contagious. I was hearing as a couple things came to mind. I was hearing Emily who shared in Sunday school. She's one of our um, people that we are involved with in sensitive parts of the world. And we're glad that she uh, represents and serves Christ as we support her and pray for her. But she was one of the things that she shared that rung a bell with me was in as she tries to reach out and develop relationships with people, one of the things that has an impact in her ministry in a foreign culture is the way that their team has community. Because her team is from 20-somethings into the 50-somethings. They're, they're very different people from different places at different age across generations. And the way the team loves and cares for each other. And he says, and it radically, it actually startles the people in the community where that is not their experience. And to taste and to see human relationship and, and koinonia in a way that radically challenges them. I want that. I, I saw it. I spent two months in India. We lived in a hotel and we went and shared the gospel with Muslims and we went door to door in stalls and we met people and we did all this. But the most fruit we saw, where we saw actually people come to Christ while we were there, was in the hotel with the people who worked in the hotel who served us, who were around us as a team, as we worshiped together, as we prayed together, as we served together, as we treated them in a certain way, these outcasts, quite literally, in different ways. And we saw what, what, brought, what brought them to Christ was, at least in part, the beauty and the power of a community 
that loved each other and loved them. Tasted and saw the power of God. And it drew them to Christ. Our koinonia, our fellowship is to be a generous, inclusive, expansive, biblical community that is missional. May God make us such a generous and glad community. Full of true koinonia and worship. Manifesting His life and His love for the world to see. Because only then does the Word of God become incarnate and visible. The love of God becomes tangible to a world that desperately needs it. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You that You did not save us and leave us alone but You have made us a people, a household, a family, a body, a church. Father, we thank You that You have brought us together and we pray as we read Your Word and hear what You have said and what You have done and Your intentions by the power of the Holy Spirit, we long to be that people. Oh, will You come now and make our hearts more expansive? Will You come now and make our hearts more glad and generous? Would You make our fellowship stronger, deeper, richer? Father, knit us together as a people in such a way that Your life is manifest in our our midst and so that Your love is manifest to a world that desperately needs Christ. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.